Today we're back in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. And if you remember last week, we looked at the evidences of the resurrection. We looked at enduring faith, scripture, eyewitness accounts, a special eyewitness account, and the, the unity of the message of the gospel. And we saw that beyond any reasonable doubt, the resurrection of Christ is a fact. Well, unfortunately, that's where many people stop and think that they're saved. It's just an intellectual assent to biblical truth. There are a number of people in the world who will try to argue that Jesus didn't really rise. There's actually no basis for that argument. The basis rests on the fact that they don't want to have to submit to the fact that Jesus is God and they are not. The fact, though, that the Lord is so gracious that he doesn't just give us facts, but in these verses today, he's going to show us implications. He's going to give us the so what of the fact that Jesus really is risen. And he does this in a really unique way. He goes in a negative approach through Paul. And what you'll find is, what I, I was looking at this week in study is, if you turn your Bible upside down, it is so much more wonderful. I don't literally mean that. But I'll show you as we get to the end of our text for today. So we're going from evidence to implications. 1 through 11 was the evidence. 12 through 20 are the implications of the resurrection. Let's get into the text directly and we'll start to unpack it. So I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin." Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Corinthian struggle was that they were hearing false teaching. And the false teaching that was permeating the church was that Dead people don't rise again. Remember we talked last time about how in Athens, where Paul came from to go to Corinth, in which Corinth sat in the shadow of, people scoffed at the idea of a literal, physical resurrection of dead people. Still today you'll find that. Our faith rests, however, on a hope of a literal, physical resurrection of dead people. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. We'll get into that a little more next week. But what it means is, he is the evidence of a coming harvest of resurrected dead people. Let me also say that all people, believers and non-believers, will rise from the dead, and they will spend eternity physically in a real place. There's a difference, though, for the resurrection of the saint, and it's a literal, bodily, physical resurrection that is our hope. And Paul addresses his false teaching in the church of God at Corinth by going with the negative implications. And the first thing he says, and this is really quite important. Well, actually, let me back up one more step before we unpack this. If you, I'll say this unequivocally, and I'll show you why I say it from Scripture. If you do not believe 
in a literal physical resurrection of Christ, you are literally not saved. And I say that not by personal preference, I say that by the word of God, which says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you meet someone or if you are someone who says, I believe Jesus is Messiah, I believe he's a savior, but I don't believe he literally rose. You believe nothing that you said before, and you're not a follower of Christ. And I want us all to be sure to make that clear so that people don't meet him one day and he says, away from me, I never knew you. The resurrection, literal physical resurrection of Christ is the foundation of our faith. So Paul takes that as the first starting point and look at verse 12 and 13. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Do you know what he's saying there? He said, yeah, Pastor, you just read it. What he's saying is very important. There was an error in the early church where people denied the humanity of Christ. They believed Jesus was God. They just didn't believe he was a person. We live in a time where people believe Jesus was a person, but that he wasn't really God. And in between, there are a whole bunch of of errors, theological errors, that create a false gospel, where people mix and match and mash this stuff together so that you get God in a human costume or a human mixed in with a little God. And the biblical teaching is that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And if you want me to explain to you how that works, that's way outside of my pay grade. You'll meet him one day, you can ask him. But it is essential to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Only God can forgive sin and only man can atone for the sin of man. And the error in the church of God at Corinth was, Jesus was not a man. And Paul says, do you understand how ridiculous this is? Our faith rests on a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. And if Christ isn't a man, men don't and women don't rise. Do you see that? If Jesus wasn't fully man, he's the first fruits of the resurrection, you have a little problem because people don't literally rise. Now, I'll give you a a few verses here, and we're not going to go to all of them or we'd be here till next Tuesday. But I'm going to show you the the sheer magnitude of, of Scripture, which shows us so clearly that Jesus is fully man. He's also fully God. Don't misunderstand that. But to the context we're in. Write these down, look them up, or listen to the recording and try to keep up that way. Acts 2.22, Galatians 4.4, 1 Timothy 2.5, Hebrews 2.17, Mark 6.3, John 19.5, Matthew 1.18 and 25, Luke 2.21, Luke 2.52, it tells us he grew in wisdom and favor and stature. John 11, Renee's favorite passage, tells us that Jesus wept. Matthew 4, he was hungry. Matthew 8, he was sleeping. John 4, he is weary. John 11, he feels sorrow and grief. Luke 22, he's physically beaten. Matthew 27, he's whipped. Luke 23, he's nailed to a cross. John 19, he's seen dying. His side is pierced. He is buried. He's a man. 
He's a physical, real, live, breathing man who is also fully God. And Paul says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, the God-man, if he's proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you say that there's no resurrection of the dead, of dead people? He's a dead person who rose. And you are people who will one day die and rise again if the gospel is true. And Paul says, if dead people don't rise, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, we have a problem. Do you know what the problem is? He keeps going. If there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. He's saying, the apostles were all eyewitnesses. Right? They didn't say, hey, we got this really cool teaching we came up with. We were at a bar, and you know, it was weird smell in the air, and we were there a long time. We had this crazy idea. Let's talk about this dead guy that raised from... No. They're saying that we were with this guy. We saw his signs and wonders. We saw him crucified, and we saw him risen. Remember, Paul's a special witness. We saw him risen, and then we were with him after he rose. They're giving an eyewitness account. Paul's saying... If Jesus didn't literally physically rise, the message that we preach, the apostolic gospel, the one true gospel, is a lie. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, right back there, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Right? Paul's saying if he didn't really rise... I lied. Do you see that? His preaching is in vain. It's pointless. It's powerless. It, it's ridiculous. And the resurrection is so important because it tells us that in Romans 1, 4, it was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. If Jesus wasn't risen, there's no resurrection power and the apostolic preaching is in vain. And if the preaching is in vain, you know what else that means? The next verse is here. And your faith is in vain. You've been wasting your time all along, he's saying to the Corinthians. If Jesus didn't literally rise, you might as well quit gathering together. You might, you might as well quit walking in obedience, because it's all a giant waste of time. I think a lot of people think that being a follower of Christ is just about getting some perks now. You can have your best life now. Basically, Jesus is a little genie. And if you do what Jesus wants you to, he's going to give you everything you want, and you're going to have your best life now. Well, if you're having your best life now, you know where you're going next? Mm-hmm. Not for your best life. The gospel isn't about Jesus coming to give you your best life now. He's coming to give us our best life in eternity. And it doesn't mean that Jesus comes to say, be miserable for the rest of your earthly life. Deprive yourself of everything fun, never smile and give away everything. And if you can do it without whining too much, maybe I'll let you into heaven and give you a harp and you can sit and sing to me forever. That's not what he's saying. In fact, every good and perfect gift comes from God above. God blesses us in so many ways. He bestows upon us so many blessings in this life. It's mind-boggling. But this is not your best life. For the believer... This is the closest glimpse you will get of hell. And for the non-believer, this is the closest glimpse they'll get of heaven. 
And Paul's saying here, if Christ didn't literally rise, your faith is in vain. You're wasting your time. If Jesus didn't rise, then there's no divine validation. Jesus' resurrection is the Father saying he accepts the work of the Son. Jesus says, it is finished. And the Father says, yes, it is. And he raises him from the dead. There's no resurrection. There's no divine validation. Sin wins. There's no justification, no reconciliation, no salvation, no eternal life. It's Romans 4.25. It says, speaking of Jesus, that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If he's not raised, you're not justified, and we might as well all leave. You know, our faith isn't about giving us some positive feeling to help us get through life. You can find that in a lot of narcotics, probably. Our faith is about giving us assurance of the fact that we have eternal life and we live in the power and protection and provision and guidance of a risen, literally risen Savior. That's crazy, isn't it? And if Jesus really didn't rise, we have a problem based on Acts 4.12 because it says there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If Jesus didn't save you, you ain't going to be saved. And if he didn't rise, we ain't saved. And if we think we're saved, we'll get to this in a minute, but we are pitiful if he didn't rise. But before we get to how pitiful we are, let's look at this here in verse 18. It says, if Christ didn't rise, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You ever been to a funeral? You ever go to a funeral of a non-Christian? It's the most miserable place you could be. Because non-Christian people, they sit in these funerals, and then they all have this, this ridiculous nonsense. Don't say it when you get there. Because, see, now, if Christ is risen, and you deny Christ, you ain't in a better place. I like the sign out front. It says, hell is truth too late. If Christ rose from the dead, if Christ really rose, and you deny Christ, then when you go to a funeral of an unsaved person, it's false, baseless hope. But if Christ didn't rise, and you go to a funeral of a Christian person, it's the same false, baseless hope. You see... If Christ rose, we'll talk about this in a minute, when we die, we are absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's a homecoming ceremony. It can't get any better than that. We get sad because we got to wait a little bit to see the folks. But there's nothing to be sad about. Do you know that? I don't care what age the Lord brings someone home. There's nothing to be sad about if they know them because they're not sad. They're not up there. Oh, I miss. No, no, no. They, they are in the presence of the Lord directly. A non-Christian person, if Christ doesn't rise, that's what we got. We sit there with the little teary eyes and, you know, so-and-so is in a much better place. A risen Christ is evidence that, no, they are not. And the Lord wants you to know before it's too late. But if Christ didn't rise, you better cry your eyes out at a funeral because you have no hope at all. Then he says something else. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christians are the most pitiful people. Verse 19, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life also, we are... Try that again. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise, it's really pathetic what we are as Christians. Do you know that? 
It's incredibly pathetic. Now, I think at times we're pretty pathetic, even with the truth. But, but what Paul is saying is, if Christ didn't rise, the world really should look at you and go, you foolish, ignorant, idiotic people. You know, that's what they think of us anyway. You believe this nonsense? And Paul's saying, if you didn't rise, yeah, you're, you're pretty pathetic. But he puts this three-letter word there, B-U-T. What's that spell? Oh, it spells But. And whenever you see these in Scripture, they're wonderful because they're turning it. The Lord is turning the phrase to show us something wonderful, right? But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul says, turn this negative stuff upside down and look at it the right way. John 14, 19, Jesus says, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Do you know what comes next? Because I live, you will also live. Paul's saying, guys, I've given you the evidence. Now I want to show you the implications. If Jesus didn't rise, us apostles were liars, you Christians, you're pathetic, our message is in vain, there's no hope, and when you die, you're going to hell. But Christ did, in fact, rise. And when you turn the text around, when you turn it from the negative to the positive, look at what, look at what the Lord is actually saying. Look at what it means positionally to be a follower of Christ. Look at who we are in Christ. Look at what we get to offer. And think about how we live in light of this truth. We are forgiven of our sins. Right? If Christ didn't rise, we're, we're not forgiven. If he did rise, we are forgiven. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yes? The world says, well, if I live my best life and if I try my hardest, God will forgive me. Or if right before I die, I ask for forgiveness, then I'll, then I'll be acceptable to God. Well, you might as well throw the Bible out, because if Christ really rose from the dead and there's salvation in no other name if you can comfortably walk through your life saying I'm going to spit in God's face until the day I die you don't know the day you die there's probably a good chance you're never going to turn to him but for us as Christians we are forgiven of our sins we don't walk before God going I I hope I did good enough I hope God will forgive me for this oh I'm imagine a 24 hour TV where every thought you had projected onto a screen. And then people, like everybody lived this way. So you couldn't just do this through life. You know, it says like, look how ugly that person is. That is the dumbest person I ever met. Do you, you know, so everyone can read your thoughts. So you go through life this way and we have to live this way, right? So you say, you know, Renee walks up. I say, good morning, Renee. Renee says, hi, pastor. Nice to see you. And her voice says, oh man, why couldn't he leave me? Right? Well, the Lord knows all of our thoughts. And we know all of our thoughts too. And we know that not only by our actions, but by our thoughts, we stand condemned. Read, read Matthew 5, 6, 7. You know, you're all murderers. If we had to live that way, we'd have a problem. But as Christians, my friends, Jesus died not just for our actions, but our thoughts for the root. So God doesn't have this little screen. He still knows all your thoughts, but he doesn't look at the screen and go, pathetic, miserable, sinful wretch. In Christ, he sees that screen covered over by the blood of Christ. He sees us as if we lived the life Christ lived. He doesn't see us as bad people. He sees us as forgiven people made righteous through Christ. Do you know how you can go through life with a confidence that before God, you're justified, you're reconciled, you're forgiven? 
and the world apart from Christ, they have to go through trying to excuse the junk. Well, I'm not so bad because so-and-so is worse than me. It's like hanging out in a maximum security penitentiary. I only murdered 15 people. I molest anybody. I'm not that bad of a person. Like these, these are the conversations we have comparatively. You know, I only blew up a building with three people inside. You killed 24 kids. You're horrible. I'm not bad. It's ridiculous. You must be perfect as I am perfect. Well, guess what? We are made in Christ. Positionally perfect. You can go through life with the confidence of knowing that God will say to you, with you I'm well pleased. Not by how you live, but by how he, the risen Messiah, lived in our place. We should be a confident crew, no? Our faith is well-founded. Paul says our preaching is in vain, right? He's saying we're liars if Christ didn't rise. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Our faith is well-founded. Everyone worships something. Did you know that? Everyone worships something. Some people worship themselves. Some people worship their kids. Some people worship their money. Some people worship these false gods. I had, I had a conversation with a guy still to this day. I remember he worships a wooden statue of an elephant. Like, really? And you know what? There are a billion people in the world who worship wooden statues of things like elephants. It's a pantheistic faith. It's Hinduism. But we worship something different. You know why? It's called the truth. We don't go through life thinking, I hope that what I believe is true. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We don't have this worldly, you know, people say, Oh, well, you believe in Jesus. They don't know what the word believe means. The same people who believe it's going to rain later today. I don't know if it's going to rain later today, but God does. And if God says at 3 o'clock it's going to rain, I'm going to believe it. And then I'm called to leave with my umbrella because I literally believe, I trust, that it's going to rain. It's not a wishy-washy hope. We have certainty of faith, and we have certainty because God has graciously shown us that Jesus is literally risen. You know what the rest of the world has? No assurance. They have no confidence. They They have to live off the opiate of the world and cover their insecurities and thoughts And hope that what they believe, the lie they believe, is true. Which is why if you ask a non-Christian person, why do you believe what you do, they will get either angry or indifferent. Ask someone who denies Christ. Don't try to defend it to them. Ask them, why do you not believe that Christ is risen? Why do you not believe that Christ is Lord? Well, well, I just don't believe that. I know, but explain why. Well, they can't. Then we can defend our faith for them, no? Because we have truth. If I tell you I believe there's a pink elephant behind the screen, the burden is on me to show you the elephant. But if the Lord showed me the pink elephant behind the screen and then told me to come out and tell everyone there's a pink elephant behind the screen, there's a pink elephant behind the screen. We have have truth on our hands. Jesus says in John 14, 6, you all know this verse, you haven't memorized even if you don't know it. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, right? Right when Christ is going through his trial before he's crucified, he says, what is truth? He says that truth is standing right before him. The literal truth. We have a faith based on truth and we know it's true because the truth is risen. Number four we are to be envied. Do you ever think of yourself as a Christian, as a person to be envied? You know, the, these, uh, 
I'm really good with monarchies, right? Who, who is this couple in uh, England? The, the, the cat and his wife who, who have these two babies. What are their names? William and uh, Kate. William and Kate. You look at those two little kids and you're like, dang, you get to grow up like that? You got palaces all over the country and private aviation and limousines and, and they got some trust funds, I imagine. And you got jewelry for the little girl and horses and all sorts of equestrian stuff for the boy. You're like, those kids are in a position to be envied, no? Like, that's pretty nice. You wake up and you like, what do you want for breakfast? And someone's going to go cook it for you and then clean it up for you. Those, those kids hit the, they hit the jackpot. Well, you know what? In Christ, do you know how much better we have it? See, they're children of royalty, right? Well, guess what? We are in Christ, children of royalty. They perhaps one day will, will reign in their land. But guess what? We will be one day co-regents with Christ in a land that's already secure. We are going to be eternal co-regents with Christ because we are princes and princes. We are children of the Most High God who is risen, who will one day rise us from the dead so that we can live with Him and rule with Him. Now, who's in the more enviable position? So when we go through life, we get to live with this bold confidence knowing that our faith isn't pathetic, it's perfect. Do you see that? That, that we aren't a people to be pitied, we are actually a people to be envied, and God is so gracious that He invites everyone who will believe to become His child so they can be in this enviable position too. Now at times we go through difficulties in life, and we get distracted and dismayed and confused, and the evil one speaks in our ear. We think, well, God doesn't really love me in my faith. Is, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm going to die. Anyone else ever done that? Inside, hopefully, not outside. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, he says, For this light and momentary affliction, you know what it's doing? It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me ask you this question. Would you like to rule a country on this earth that will one day pass away? Or would you like to be a co-region on the new earth in a land that will last for eternity? Would you like to, to live at the will and the whimsicalness of people? Or to live under the authority and will of a sovereign and perfect God? Do you see who we are in Christ? Do, do you see the position that we are in? If you were to sit, and this is an exercise I'd encourage you to do this week. Take out a piece of paper. And write a list of all of the, the privileges that the Lord entrusts to us as His children just in this life. You don't have to get quite a few pieces of paper. And list all those privileges that we have as children of God in this life. And don't get distracted by, by the stuff going on around you or the news that you turn on or the aches and pains in your body or whatever. Go, go off the Word of God and list the privileges that we have as children of God. Think about who we are before a risen Savior and what that means. We have weak faith, don't we? We, we have very weak faith. We are so easily distracted and dismayed and discouraged. And, oh, we're going to die. Isn't there, there that story where there's some sky falling on the little chicken. Oh, the sky is falling. We're all going to die. Huh? We don't have to do that. 
Do you know why? I know the one who made the sky. I know the one who holds the sky in place. And if the sky falls down, I know where I'm going. And I know that one day when the Lord comes down from the sky and he raises his saints and he brings his people to him, that we're going to get perfect resurrection bodies. Do you you know that? This is the assurance that we have because Christ is risen. Literally, physically risen. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. They both stayed dead. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose and we will rise. And we get to go out into a world in the power of the Holy Spirit with resurrection power to live a life to bring glory to God where God, God's goal isn't to drag you through life pathetically kicking and screaming. Think about that. He, he brings us as a witness out into the world and says, you want to be like these people? Trampled and stomped and muddied and sullied and pathetic and scared out of their minds? Do you think that's what God wants to, to show to the world? Huh? Have I not commanded you, he says, to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yeah, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to drag you through the mud and scare you and make you miserable, and one day you'll die. Or is it the exact opposite? But see, the Lord calls us to obedience. He says he's so gracious to us, but he's a perfect loving father. He says, I would like to give you many, many blessings. I would like to use you mightily and powerfully. However, you have responsibility of obedience. You can be a useful vessel, or you could be a vessel not for use. You could be a shipwrecked church, or you can be a powerful church, right? The Corinthians, this whole letter is based around the fact that this is a church adrift about to crash into the rocks and sink. Unless you think the Lord doesn't at times sink a church... Read the book of Revelation, look at your map, see where some of these churches were, and see whose lampstand was removed. Look at the Christian witness in land where there was once a a big and mighty church that lost its first love. And look what rules there now. Islam. Doesn't mean that Christ has lost, it just means that Christ has done what he said. He removed a lampstand because they lost their first love. See, we're called to walk in obedience to the word of God, not based off emotion or worldly wisdom or what we think is best. And sometimes it looks crazy because sometimes it sounds like the Lord says to us, walk into that giant fiery mess. Well, if he does, walk in. You want to know what's going to happen? Can't help you there. See, Jesus doesn't tell us what every step along the way will be. He tells us where we're going to go. And then he says, follow me. And our job is to trust and obey. But yet too often we try to make an excuse. Now, if Christ didn't really rise, you might as well run scared because your good shepherd is dead. But if Christ rose, which we know he rose, if Christ is alive, which we know he is, if Christ will return, which we know he will, then what do we have to fear in walking in obedience to him? Nothing. My friends, as Christians, we are a people to be envied. We are a people who know truth. We are a people who have a, a secure and certain future. This is not a unique problem. This is a problem the church has dealt with for all of its life. A fickle people of weak faith 
who serve a strong and mighty Savior who is risen. And God is gracious and forgiving and compassionate. He walks alongside us. He restores us while we are cast. Our salvation is not the issue. Our faithfulness doesn't impact our salvation. But our effectiveness is in part dependent upon it. And as we walk in the reality of the fact that we are forgiven of our sins, that our faith is well-founded, that the apostolic witness is true, and that we are to be envied, the Lord would do incredible things in us and through us for His glory. So we can play the games that the world plays. And we can have the fun that the world has. And we can acquire the things that the world has. And you might as well listen to what Solomon said in Scripture. I mean, the dude had more money than Bill Gates. He had more stuff than any, any you know, 17 third world countries. He had a thousand ladies. And he was a miserable wretch. He says, I had it all. And it was all a waste. So why do we chase it? Why don't we trust that in Christ we have all that we need? And let Christ direct to what we have so we have just the right amount of everything we need for our good and His glory. And we can have boldness and confidence because right this very moment, as we speak, the Lord Jesus is very much alive and active. He is physically at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He has his eye upon us. He hears us. He's praying on our behalf. And one day he's coming back. Do you know when he's coming back? Me neither. But it could be in 12 seconds. And once he comes back, it is done. There's no more invitation to be a child of God. No more. And we live with this awkward tension where on one side we have the joy of knowing that one day we will spend eternity in a resurrected body with Christ. And we live with this awkward tension of the fact that we know way too many people that will one day not rise to an eternity with God, but descend into an eternity in hell. And Jesus doesn't desire that. He would desire that all should be saved, none should be lost, but all must make that choice of who they say he is, and we go and we proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is this, right there in verse 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's really quite simple. If he didn't rise, don't bother coming back next Sunday. But if he did rise, when you come back next Sunday, let us worship him to the top of our voice. Let us come before him boldly in prayer. Let us listen to his living and active word with attentive fervor. And let us go out and live lives for his glory because he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And one day he will return. We have eternity in perfection. And in this life, we have the opportunity to bring glory to him and to make him known so that many might come to saving faith, and that so our risen Lord might be glorified. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how incredible that that we are able to pray to you, a risen Lord. The fact that as we pray, you are attentive to us, that you are not a, a hope in our mind, but you are a living, breathing man who is God. You are the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created. You have power beyond our ability to comprehend. Lord, we wonder wonder how the water bill might be paid, and we forget that you made the water. We're afraid of what people might think of us or do to us. 
But we forget that it is only what you think of us that truly matters. And no one has any power except that is given to them by you. Lord, we know what your word says. I pray we would know it better. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to walk in light of that truth. I pray that we would not be so easily distracted by the world or conform to the thinking of the world or pursuing the things that the world wants us to pursue. I pray we might guard our minds and our hearts in you, Christ Jesus, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that by testing we may discern what is the will of God. And I pray we would do so in a way that brings glory to you. But I also pray that we would live each day in the reality that when we wake or when we lie down, we do so under the authority of a risen Savior. That you, Lord Jesus, love us so much. Father, that you love us so much that you sent your only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that as we live in this present time, you are preparing for us, you are preparing us and preparing for us a place where we will spend eternity in your presence in perfection. And the fact that we can know these things are true in so many ways. Our faith is not a I hope it's true. Our faith rests in a I know it is true because we worship you, Lord Jesus, the truth. Forgive us, Lord, for these many times we've fallen short, we've doubted, we've been anxious, we've been discouraged, we've been dismayed that we haven't loved. And we just praise you for the fact that as your children, we know we are forgiven. We ask forgiveness not to be right with you, but so we can enjoy the fullness of fellowship with you and mature us and build us and prepare us and focus us so that we might not sin and we might live the lives you've called us to so that your name would be glorified and we would be able to be participators in the work that you desire us to be so that we can have the joy you intend for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love you have for us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the fact that you are exactly who you say you are, our Lord who is risen. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.